The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. For those of you who are regular listeners, you know that at present we are going through the study of God's Word with regard to eschatology, or the study of last things, specifically prophecy regarding the timing of when Christ will return, his rapture of his church, the great tribulation, or God's wrath, and his second coming, ushering in the millennium with Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You'll also know that we've been using the prism of Leviticus chapter 23 and accompanying Old Testament books throughout the Pentateuch to help us understand via the Jewish feasts and festivals prescribed and commanded therein. Thus far, we have been looking at the spring-summer season festivals, encompassing Passover, Unleavened Bread, Feast of Firstfruits, Feast of Weeks, and or Pentecost. You will note that the case that we made 
with regard to these spring-summer festivals was that each and every one was a type and or a shadow couched within these feasts and festivals representing some aspect of either the nature, character, and attributes of Yeshua, Messiah the Christ, or what he accomplished during his ministry, his crucifixion, death, resurrection, ascension, and the establishment of his church. Secondly, we noted that as we looked at the type versus the substance, we saw an amazing fulfillment in great detail of every aspect of what God commanded by type, which was hidden within these feasts and festivals that he prescribed. The conclusion that we came to via these was that God indeed not only commanded, but designed these feasts and festivals in order to give us better understanding of what the role of Messiah Yeshua would be during his ministry, death, crucifixion, and ascension, as well as the establishment of the church. They were benchmarks, if you will, to later look back at and see that only a omnipotent, omnipresent God who lives from eternity could do such a thing. Only God can create this kind of detail which plays itself out upon the stage of history in such exact detail. Secondly, we went into the discussion of the idea that there was a gap between the last feast and festival of the spring-summer season, that being the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, and the beginning of the last three of the fall-winter season, number five, the Feast of Trumpets, number six, the Day of Atonement, and number seven, the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to propose that in like kind, that as in the first case of the first four, which established and detailed the first coming of Yeshua, Messiah, Christ, and his ministry, as well as the church, that the last three detail and provide information regarding Yeshua, Messiah's second coming, and the fate, if you will, of his body, the church, his bride, and what he will be doing in the end times. This detail or description or discussion of end times and the return of Christ is traditionally and typically where most prophecy conferences detail and deal with. This is the great debate. When will Jesus come? When will his rapture occur? What's the timing? Is there any? What passages, what verses give us information? And it is virtually a cottage industry where there are various complementary and opposing theories which detail that. Now, for those of you, some of you may be familiar with some of these views. Others of you may have never heard of them. So just to be complete and get us all on the same page, I propose to list to you the five theories which exist, which detail or are theorized regarding the timing of either the rapture, the great tribulation, or his second coming. 
The five theories are as follows. Number one, the partial rapture view. Number two, the pre-tribulation view. Number three, the pre-wrath view. Number four, the mid-tribulation view. And finally, number five, the post-tribulation view. Now, time prohibits into giving a full theological discourse on each and every one. What we're doing is looking at, ultimately, the Feast and Festivals of Leviticus chapter 23 and placing those at long last into the formula, because as stated, as I see it looking out on the landscape, very few ever attempt to look at or in fact, place Leviticus chapter 23 and the feasts and festivals commanded by God into the formula discussing the issue of eschatology. Usually, these issues of the feasts and festivals are limited to the idea that the feasts and festivals are nothing more than an Old Testament cultural, historical anomaly which existed only for uh, the Jews in the Old Testament, and for those Orthodox Jews who continue to hang on to those views simply as a matter of habit and orthodoxy. But my position is that these issues are God's revelation to his people, be it Jew or Gentile, in order to understand his revelation of the timing of his eschatology that he wants us to know as Berean students. So let's discuss briefly these uh, five theories. Number one, the partial rapture view. The partial rapture view states that only those faithful believers who are, quote, watching and waiting, unquote, for the Lord's return or rapture will be taken in the rapture whenever that is. Now, to put it simply, the partial rapture view, in my estimation, is mischaracterized and should, does not belong in this list. It's only there because some people have placed it there for whatever reason, but when you think about it, the title itself gives away the fact that it's mischaracterized. It says the partial rapture view, meaning that when Christ returns, according to this, only those who are watching and waiting will be raptured whenever that is. Well, that goes without saying. Christ is not going to rapture those who are in rebellion. Christ is not going to rapture those who are uh, in willful, ongoing, uh, conscious sin. Christ isn't going to rapture those who don't know him, don't believe in him, deny him, or any of that. Of course Christ is only going to rapture those who believe in him and are watching and waiting. Does that mean that you have to be watching and waiting every second, every moment, every minute of the day? No. When I'm sleeping, I'm not thinking about it. When I'm unconscious, I'm not thinking about it. When I'm in a coma, I'm not thinking about it. When I'm doing my taxes and, and preoccupied with something that requires intense concentration, I'm not thinking about it. But in general, the fruit of my life demonstrates 
that in a general sense, I live with the idea that Christ is coming, and I'm waiting. I'm watching for that. I may not be doing it every second, but that is my mindset in general, or conversely said, I'm not living a life that basically denies that I'm watching and waiting. I'm not living a life given to daily compromise, to daily sin, to daily rebellion, to doing things which on their face show that I do not believe and have fear and awe of the Lord. But most importantly, whatever side of the coin we're talking about, whether we're talking about that group of people who deny the Lord or that group of people who are watching and waiting, in either camp, whatever the case may be, it's not going to affect the timing of when Jesus comes. In either camp, on either side of the coin, whatever the case may be, the fact of the matter is that the timing that we're talking about for uh, Jesus's rapture or the coming again, he has already established when that period of time is. He knows exactly, precisely what year, what month, what day, what hour he is coming. And that is not going to change regardless of whether people are waiting, watching, or not. He has his time established. And whatever that time is, he's going to accomplish it perfectly. And those that are waiting and watching will be raptured. Those who deny the Lord and who don't know the Lord will not be raptured. The rapture is ultimately contingent on who has a relationship with the Lord, be they dead or alive. Moving on, number two, the pre-tribulation view. The pre-tribulation view espouses that the return of Christ is before what's called, quote-unquote, the Great Tribulation. Okay? We don't know exactly how far before in times of seconds, minutes, or hours. It could be almost contemporaneous with the rapture. Then immediately the Great Tribulation begins. Or there could be hours, or there could be days, or there could even be months, or maybe even years. But at the end of the day, the rapture precedes the Great Tribulation, where God's wrath is poured out on everyone else who is left. Three, the pre-wrath view. The pre-wrath view is basically a view which originated in the 1990s. And in this view, its proponents draw a distinction, a technical distinction between the tribulation or the great tribulation and God's wrath. The two are slightly different, okay? They're not contemporaneous. They're not the same. There's a distinction. And what they're saying is that in this view, that the church will be raptured before God's wrath is poured out. Okay, the church is not being raptured before the great tribulation because the great tribulation is different from God's wrath. The church is being raptured before God's wrath is being poured out. So we have to then semantically establish what is the great tribulation and what is God's wrath, 
And where do, does one begin and end, and where does the other begin and end? And then when we know where God's wrath is being poured out, sometime before that, that is when the rapture occurs. Now, typically, the proponents of the pre-wrath view say that God's wrath is being poured out approximately three quarters of the way into the final week, the last seven uh, years of Daniel's 70 weeks of years. So it's related to the great tribulation in that God's wrath occurs in that seven years, that last seven years, that last week of Daniel's 70 weeks of years. And God's wrath is being poured out three quarters of the way in to that seven years. Number four, the mid-tribulation view. The mid-tribulation view is very similar, as you can see, to the pre-wrath view. But they are distinct and different semantically and, and practically. The mid-tribulation basically says that the rapture will occur at the midpoint of the final week, the last seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks of years. So you have Daniel's 70 weeks of years, then you have that final week which is yet to occur, which is seven years. So three and a half years into that great tribulation you have the rapture and then after the rapture there are three and a half more years where antichrist rules and reigns in its uh, final antagonism against god and god's people and it is also at this midpoint where god's wrath begins to be poured out so the the difference to be Blunt is that in the pre-wrath view, you're three quarters of the way through the seven years with God's wrath being poured out. And in the mid-tribulational view, you're halfway through or three and a half years into the last seven years. And that's when God's wrath is being poured out. Finally, you have the post-tribulational view. The post-tribulational view teaches that the rapture and or the second coming are contemporaneous. They're at the same time, and they're aspects of a single event occurring at the end of the tribulation period, or the last week, the last seven years of Daniel's 70 weeks of years. So you can see that in each view, it's all discussing that last week, that last seven years, in Daniel's 70 weeks of years. And we have one in which the rapture occurs before the pre-tribulational view. We have two that occur pretty much in the middle, one being the pre-wrath, which is at the three-quarter mark, the mid-tribulational view, which is at the exact halfway mark, and then we have the post-tribulational view, which is at the final end. So that gives you an overview of the five theories that are out there regarding uh, the rapture and the great tribulation and or God's wrath with regard to the timing of the rapture. This then brings us to the fall winter feasts uh, and festivals of Leviticus chapter 23 and other passages which, as I stated, 
I believe will give us information regarding the timing and the correlation of events which are occurring related to the rapture, the great tribulation, the second coming, and the millennium. So let's look at those fall winter festivals. As you will recall, we ended up after the spring summer festivals with the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, which was in Savan. Then we dealt with the gap theory, which gave us an undeterminate period of time in history for the gathering of the church age or the times of the Gentiles. And then at some point yet future, we resume the calendar going forward with the next feast and festival, which occurs in the month of Elul. Now, in the month of Elul, there is a festival known as Teshuva. Teshuva is not a, an official feast or festival proscribed or commanded in Scripture per se. Teshuva arises as a result of habit and culture leading up to Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets, which occurs in the month of Tishri, or our Gregorian month of September-October. So let's talk a little bit about the actual first commanded feast or festival found in Leviticus, which is Yom Torura, or Rosh Hashanah. We find this commandment in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25, which say the following, quote, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, that being Tishri, in the first day of the month, ye shall have a Sabbath, or a Shabbat, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord." Unquote. So, as a result of this commandment, this feast, this festival, we have an accompanying preceding feast or festival, which originates by custom, by habit, not by commandment. This feast or festival of Teshuvah, as stated, occurs in the Jewish month of Elul, which is equal to our Gregorian month of August or September. In this feast of Teshuvah, the practice is that, according to tradition, the Jews would begin to turn their thoughts to repentance, to the return to God, it was a season of repentance beginning on the first of the month of Elul, lasting 40 days up to when Tishri the first occurred. So it was a preparation, if you will, for an actual feast and festival of the Feast of Trumpets. During this uh, 40 days, on each day, except for Shabbat, Sabbath, the Jews would blow a shofar trumpet or horn in the temple during morning prayers. Again, these prayers, the blowing of the trumpet, all designed to prepare the Jewish mind, the Jewish people, for the up-and-coming repentance that was to be required during the actual feast and festival of the Feast of Trumpets. 
After these 40 days, we come to the first of Tishri, or in the Gregorian month again, September or October, when the new moon would proclaim that the first of the month had begun, and as a result, the high priest could announce the coming or the arrival of the month of Tishri and the feast or festival of the Day of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah could begin. This month, this festival, this feast of Rosh Hashanah or the Feast of Trumpets is the first month which brings in and starts the fall-winter festivals which are again tied to their agricultural harvests which occur within the region. So, we're going to have to leave off here and next time we will begin in earnest with the Feast of Trumpets and an explanation as to what happens as the feasts and festivals unfold and how it relates to the timing or the eschatology of Christ's return, the rapture, the second coming, the great tribulation, God's wrath, and so forth. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore yeshua at yahoo.com that's p-a-s-t-o-r underscore y-e-s-h-u-a at yahoo.com thank you for listening Trust